everyone. Welcome to another episode of A Word About Wealth, a podcast where we tackle the often complicated world of money and finance. My name is Kevin. And this is Van. What we do here on this podcast is take a common sense approach to all things money. We'll do our best to define concepts, we'll give examples, and have a casual conversation about wealth. It is important to note here that we are not financial advisors, nor do we pretend to be. What we share on this podcast should be taken as general education and financial entertainment, and must not be misconstrued as official financial advice. Sorry, you know, didn't mean to pick one. You no, no, no. You know, it's funny. I always wonder if people listen to this and they're like, why don't these fools just have a pre-recording of the, of the entrance? And we do it every time. Yeah, but and that's then, right, folks. It's not authentic if you don't do it every right. time. I'm, I'm sure they're just going to skip it 15 <laughs> yeah. seconds at a time. I don't care. You yeah. Skip it all you want. Right. I like to say it. Uh, Van, we're doing reader mail. First one yeah. of the year. Mail call. Mail call. That's right. That's oh, right. Cool. That's right. I, I always love these episodes because it's, it's great yeah. to see what people actually wants to uh, hear about. Right? Yeah. And I have to say, um, I don't think everybody knows we're back on the air yet because we right. didn't have as many questions as we typically could choose from I mean, some of these were just kind of you know like friends that you were talking to exactly. right exactly yeah so um before we get started i do want to remind people please send in your questions we love getting them van and i um it helps us do these episodes um and if we don't get those questions it's a little harder to do them but right uh, fortunately we have a few that came in but a lot of these were actually from uh people in person right so right. i mean th- those are legit too those are legit yeah. too you know what was cool van before we get started the last time we did reader mail yeah um Episode number four, it was on April 7th, okay. 2018. Oh. And today is April 7th. Oh, on, at this recording, right? At wow. this recording, wow. of course. But isn't that bizarre? That I, was, weird. I was copying over the notes and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Did, did this update by itself? But yeah, literally a month, uh, a year ago. Wow. Because those dates are... are um, or our note dates. It's ah, not necessarily right. the recording dates, right, but right. it was the exact same day. Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> that is weird. Oh okay. my goodness. So Man, so um, it's kind of fate has it made twenty. Yeah, it was fate to uh, be doing reader mail today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh well thank you to all the uh, people who reached out. So actually my first question for you, Van, so let's okay. dive right in. This is actually from my good friend Lisa. All right. Uh she hey, lives Lisa. in LA. Hey Lisa. Um she was uh, over at my house the uh, a few nights ago and she was just asking some of these questions and we're like, "Hey, do you mind if I put these on the podcast?" and uh she said, "Absolutely." So hopefully she's listening and um you know I'm actually, because her. since you already gave her this answer, I'm kind of curious to see what you have to say about this. I actually didn't give her an answer. You didn't give her I, an answer. I said, hey, you know, I, this is kind of <laughs> what I think, but you should really listen to the episode because Vannon is much better at answering this sure. question for you. So let me get to the question. Um, so the first, she basically has, you know, some background. She recently left one of her, uh, her last job, I guess, and she's taking some time to do some uh, school and things like that. She asked... Can you provide advice on what I should do with my 401k uh, or, or with a 401k at that company she no longer works for? Right. Um, should she roll it over to an IRA? And if so, is there tax considerations? Because that's kind of the, the challenge and um, the question she has right now. Let's see. So there's, there's a lot of, you know, yeah. many things. Unpacked, there's a lot of ways to, to uh, skin this cat, right? So right. I would say uh, normally uh, what people do is they would take that 401k and they uh, they just leave it there. <laughs> um, or they would take that 401k and convert it into, uh, roll it over to a traditional IRA and just manage it in their traditional IRA with their brokerage of choice, right? Um, so, you know, those those two situations, you know, you are, are fine. Um, but um, it actually, did cons- um, you have to consider another option as well because, you uh, if you are at, if you're making a lot of money, let's say you're making more than one hundred twenty-two thousand. I don't know. Is, is Lisa married or is Lisa? Uh, she is single. She's single. Yeah. Okay, so if for she, tax purposes. So I don't know how much she makes. I don't know if you know, but 
if she makes over 122,000 a year, then you can't, you can no longer contribute to a Roth IRA, right? Do you remember something called a backdoor Roth IRA, Kevin? I vaguely remember, yes. So the backdoor Roth IRA allows you to contribute to your Roth IRA even if you have, uh, regardless of your income level, right? It's basically like a loophole that the IRS did not intend to have in mm-hmm. order for, you know, um, I guess people of any, any income to contribute. So if you are, uh, if you make under 122,000, then go ahead and do the traditional route where you roll it over to a traditional IRA. And then, I mean, I don't know if she's also contributing to a Roth IRA as well, but you can continue, you know, you can go ahead and do that route and you'll be fine. But let's say you were making more than 122,000 a year and you want to continue contributing to your Roth IRA. So I, what I would do is actually keep my 401k as is. Um, and I don't know if she has the other uh, traditional IRAs, but you, I would do the backdoor Roth IRA so that way she can continue to contribute to your to your Roth IRA. Gotcha. And uh, I mean, does that make sense? I don't know. I felt like I kind of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> made no, it super absolutely. complicated. I, I definitely feel like, again, I don't know her financial situation, right. but I do know that in my conversations, because I had a chance to kind of go back and forth with her a little bit, right. she did say that, um, she left this company a while ago. Okay. So, um, but in that meantime, she hasn't done anything with that money. It's still staying at that company. They're I still investing it. So it's like you said, she's did the option A one, if you will, right. as just leaving it there. Okay. But now she's saying like, hmm, I she's worked at different companies that also have had four one ks. So she's okay. had now multiple four one ks at multiple wow. companies. Okay. Right. And she's just saying, hmm, don't know if that's the best way. It seems like better to consolidate. Yeah. So she's trying to roll it into a traditional IRA. Okay. But her concern is, is, is from tax purposes, are they going to count that as a, dis- a withdrawal? No, absolutely not. It, it isn't, right? It's but not. She's, I guess in the past, something happened and they, they counted it as a withdrawal. If they did, then it's wrong. It was Un- wrong yeah, right? Unless it was not a retirement account. Like if it was like some sort of... Um, Stock options or some sort oh, of like that. Then I mean, and some some people may confuse that as something related to retirement, but it actually relates to more like ordinary income. In that case, it would. But if gotcha. it's inside a four hundred one k or four hundred three b or it something like that, then okay, it, right. because it's really moving from a pre tax uh, account to another pre tax account. Right. So you're I'm not thinking. you're not really creating a taxable event yeah. there, right? But I mean, this whole backdoor Roth IRA. The reason why I say that is because um, that does complicate things, right? Because yeah. in general, you're right. Like you do want to consolidate everything. In in a, your own, uh, in a separate traditional IRA, so you're managing everything in one place because not only does it simplify things, but um, when you keep it in your 401ks, there are fees that are associated with like uh, with managing those accounts. And in many cases, uh, a lot of people are in 401k plans that are just crummy. Like uh, my my dad is one of them. Yeah. He has a very crummy 401k plan. But if your plans are rather good, then you know it, it doesn't really hurt that much to keep it in there. But um, especially if you want to utilize this backdoor Roth IRA. And the reason why I mentioned this backdoor Roth IRA is because if she had consolidated everything in everything into one single uh, traditional IRA, when you do the, the backdoor Roth IRA, you actually have to convert that traditional IRA into a Roth IRA, right? Yeah. So when you do that, I mean, let's assume she has like a couple hundred thousand dollars in there. So that means that you're adding a couple hundred thousand dollars to your ordinary your ordinary income taxes. That tax and that's a huge taxable event. Yeah. So that's why it really depends if she wants to uh, take advantage of this backdoor Roth IRA. Yeah. Um, I actually had a similar conversation with another uh, friend of mine about okay. that, and his situation is a little bit different. But I actually kind of want to make a full episode about it, so oh, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna keep that oh. as a, another thing. But let's put it this way, Lisa. So if you are making under 122k a year, go ahead and consolidate it into a single uh, traditional IRA. I think that's fine. But if you're making more than 122k and you want to continue contributing to your 
Raw Dyer, then uh, stay tuned for that episode. Oh, yeah, so nice. I, I think I'm gonna we we'll probably would air it after this one actually. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so All we'll right. make we'll make it we'll we'll, we'll make it relevant. For, awesome. So, uh, well, perfect. Thank you, Van. Because um, I mean, the reason I'm not trying to beta switch you or trying to lead you on it's mainly because there's there's a lot of complexity there. Then that yeah. I don't want to kind of unload in this uh, mailbag question. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, and Lisa actually had a follow-up question okay. on something unrelated, or not unrelated, but not necessarily on 401k, is as she's going through this discussion about all the different finances she has, she did think, how do I go about finding a financial advisor, and do I even need one? Okay. What are your thoughts on that, man? That's, that's another very good question. Yeah. Um, I would say, so we, we actually had an episode, I believe, about uh, whether or not you need a financial advisor. Yes. And in there, I explain, um, you know, I wish I had that number uh, in front of me, but in there, we explain, you know, kind of the pros and cons of having a financial advisor and, and all that. But, you know, to, just in a nutshell, I would say if you have no interest in you know, handling all these personal finance yourself, then I would say just go ahead and um, uh, hire somebody. Um, basically, kind of like, you know, if you don't want to do your, your lawn, like <laughs> I, I don't like doing my lawn or anything like that, um, I just hire somebody else to do it because I'd rather spend that time doing something else. But if you do want to learn and you do have like an interest in doing it, then definitely, you know, try to figure it out yourself. I think episode six was a financial planner. Is was that it? Yeah, but those are from our notes, but I want to actually go into oh, our right, actual right. list. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Uh, so it's, huh. yeah. Any case, it was but one of the earlier episodes we do, I mean, if you're interested, go ahead and check out that episode. I mean, yeah. it, may, it may be a little rough because it was one of our earlier episodes, <laughs> but um, I think it has a lot of good information in there. Um, but, but Van, I, I think for, uh, at least for when I was talking to Lisa, her, mm-hmm. her thinking with financial advisors, just that they can obviously be better in terms of investing. Do you feel like that's the case? I don't, I don't think so, okay. uh, personally. Um, yeah. Mainly because the financial advisor will typically try to put you into products that um, one, um, you know, gives them commission <laughs> because they have to make money as well, and secondly, they're always going to try to beat the um, the S and P five hundred, right? I mean, if because most of the time they're not going to put you in an S P five hundred because anybody can do that, um, and they're trying to tr- show their value by uh, providing, you know, trying to beat that. And history has shown that you know over the course of let's say ten years or so. Very few people can do that. I mean, you're talking about rock star people that you can even you can't even touch unless you have you know hundred million dollars or something like that, right? But sure. for normal people, um, I would say it's very hard to beat that, and you can probably do it better yourself. But then again, like you know, if you don't like mowing your your lawn, then yeah. go ahead and do this. But the one thing I have to do, I would have to say, is um, if you are going to select a financial advisor, uh, make sure this person is a fiduciary because yeah. a fiduciary by law is uh, required to have your best interest, um, you know, in in mind because if you go through your in, you know, your bank or your um, your let's say insurance agent and all that, I mean these uh, people probably aren't fiduciaries, and they're probably going to put you in high fee products or things that will benefit them and not yourself. Because if you go to like for instance, if you go to a financial advisor um, interview and mm-hmm. they go like, hey, like we have a life insurance product for you, I, I would just. Get out of there, Get out you know, just, there. just, <laughs> be, yeah, I would be dramatic and take your one and splash it in their oh, face oh, wow. <laughs> and yeah. then we'll storm out. I think but, that is... but I, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm joking there, but I mean, I would say I, if that's like the first thing they pitch yeah, you, right? Because right. keep in mind, those type of products are, you know, they, they generate a lot of commission for these ad, quote unquote advisors. And there are plenty of other products that they can provide you other than life insurance. So again, if that's the first thing they do or annuities or anything like that, then I, I would walk yeah. out of there. Good to know. Yeah. All right. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah. So thanks, Lisa, for uh, offering those two questions. Right. Uh, Probably saves her from listening for an hour. Yeah. This episode. <laughs> well, hey, it's good information. Right. Uh, well, we're staying in California, Van. We have Jack. Uh, he's writing to us. Uh, this is from an email from Pasadena. Okay. Um, he wanted to know, and this is something we talked about actually last episode, I believe. 
is it true that we should keep our oldest credit card open? Um, it's actually something I had a question on prior to last week's episode. Right. But why don't you remind us of, you know, sounds like it's, what do you think about this? So, um, again, um, it is, a, it is a really good idea to keep your credit, oldest credit card open because uh, a portion of your credit card score is based on the length of your credit history, yep. right? So the longer you have a card open, um, the better. But now it doesn't mean to keep like it max that credit card right. out, right? It just means you can have a zero balance on it, but you know, just keep it open. Just, yep. you know, I don't even keep it in your wallet, really. Yep. You just, I mean, especially if it's one of those college credit cards you receive when you first open a bank account, um, yeah. just put that aside in your drawer and, you know, it just, just keep it there. Yeah. Great. Mm-hmm. Uh, great feedback on that. Uh, next question is from Seattle. So Seattle. going up a little north. Whoa, We're still whoa. on the West Coast, though. A lot of West Coast uh, questions this year. Come on, but, East, uh, East Coast and Midwest. Where are you guys at? I don't know. Maybe they don't know we're back yet. So hopefully. <laughs> um, this question is about uh, bank accounts. She says, should I open up a bank account at one of the big banks or is now the online option okay? Oh, that's what a are your thoughts on that? Very good question. Yeah. Okay, so um, here's my train of thought about that. I, I would say it's... You can do both. Okay. Uh, there's no there's no reason where you can do both, right? Because the the one good thing about those big banks is they're around on every corner that you're around, right? right? Especially if you need to get cash and you get you know you need to get to an ATM really quickly. Any of the big three banks like Bank of America, Chase, and uh, I guess Wells Fargo is one of them. Yeah, there was, those ATMs are like littered on you know Google Maps, and you can find them pretty easily. So I would say for paying your bills, um, I would definitely use one of these banks because okay. you know, especially if you um, you need to get cash really quickly. Online accounts I think are um, really good as well because this is typically um, I I personally keep all of my uh, savings accounts in online high yield savings accounts. So uh, personally, I have an Ally account. And do you have an Ally account as yeah, well? Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. So Ally, Barclay. I mean, those those bank accounts are great as well. Um, but I would say the only caveat with those, even though they have a higher interest rate, you can't really get it act instantly, right? Yeah. It's harder to go to an ATM and just get money out of those accounts instantly. Yeah. And I know. Um, uh, you know, some of these accounts uh, may allow you to, you know, put it into other ATMs and getting money that way. But you have to make oh, sure is that right? they, they oh. do. Um, but you have to make okay. sure that the, um, there are no fees on the, uh, those. Huh. Yeah, <laughs> you know how much I like those. But in many cases, they may say that there's no fees on um, your bank's end, but the the other bank, you know, oh, the, the Wells Fargo bank yeah, may yeah, charge yeah. you, right? But I mean, I, I've actually seen some online bank accounts where they say they actually refund you on both ends as well. So oh, cool. it depends. It really depends on you know how what the policy is for. Um, those uh, credit card transaction or those uh, ATM transaction fees. Cool. Yeah. So I I always say just just get multiple. I mean, there's yeah. no there's no um, you don't have to get one or the other. So there you go, Eileen. Um, so what I'm hearing from you, Van, is maybe have a bank account with one of the big banks for your day to day usage, right. but then your savings maybe you find one online. Right. Right. And then I mean, I, because right now I think my wife and I we have. One Chase account, and we also have um, a credit union and an online. So oh. we, we actually have both of those. And the reason why we have those is for the credit union, they usually offer one of the best uh, in- loans out there. Oh, yeah. yeah so they, they, in terms of interest rates and fees and all that. So I would say, uh, you know, I, I would do all three of those to yeah. cover cover your basis there. So maybe you should add one more onto your list, Eileen, about, I guess, credit, credit unions union, potentially. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, because especially if you want to buy a home or something, it, that's, that's pro- usually one of the first places I check is a credit union. Fair enough. All right, Michael. Um, didn't give a city, just wrote right. Nebraska. <laughs> so I guess we're... That's kind of cool. I think that's yeah. our first Nebraska uh, right. question. Hey. So thank you, Michael. I didn't know... Uh, it's good to know there's some Midwest representation. Right, right. Oh, you know, I, I take that back earlier. Then. Yeah. Well, he's the Midwest. East okay. Coast still need to... Oh, you said Midwest. Yeah, right. I did. All right. Michael, uh, this will be our last like, question. Come actually. on, Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> Hawaii. Right, Alaska. 
This is, I, I thought it was a really cool question because uh, Michael clearly has listened to some of the old uh, podcast mm-hmm. episodes uh, and knows that you have a Betterment account. Right. So Michael asked, can you provide us with how your Betterment, Betterment account is doing and you know, are they still satisfying what you're looking for out of them? Sure. Um, so my Betterment account, um, I, I still have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say that I did cash all of it out just not because of it oh. being bad or anything. It's because I, you know, we're in the process of buying a home. Oh, right, so right, right, I, right. I decided to pull all that money because I couldn't really take the volatility yeah. of the market anymore. So I, I pulled it out. So that way it's all in cash at the moment. But I would say that uh, when I cashed it out, um, my overall gains over the, I think, three or four years that I had it mm-hmm. was about 10%, oh, which is not bad, not but bad. it's not bad, but it's still worse than the S&P 500. So I would say uh, the Betterment account was essentially like an actively managed account. So it, if you look at the breakdown, it was invested in a whole bunch of different funds, but it still made me money, but probably not as What's much money that? as wow. my S&P 500. Yeah. So that, that was interesting. Now, did you do anything on Betterment or did you let it run, right? I just you let it run. So right. the, okay. the only thing I told it to do was um, I just set, the, you know, how many stock, you know, percentage of stocks versus how much uh, bonds yeah. but that was really it and then it just kind of did its own thing after oh, that cool. but i would say it still it performed underperformed but then again it did still make me money and it was more or less kind of an experiment to see how robo advisor would do compared to the uh, um, s&p 500 and so forth but the one thing that was cool about the betterment account was i did did save money on taxes when it when i turned on tax loss harvesting so ah, that yeah. is actually pretty cool because cool. um the tax loss harvesting once you it's really just a checkbox that you check and then it does it all for you in the background, and you don't have to do anything after that. Um, whereas if I were to do a tax loss harvesting through Vanguard, it'll be very complicated because I would have to see, okay, how much did I buy that mm-hmm, share for? And yeah. then I have to see, you know, when, um, okay, next month, did I lose money on that? So if I did take a loss, then I would sell it and then buy something else. And you know, it's just, it, it just takes a lot of more work to do. Whereas with Betterment or Wealthfront or any of those guys, it's just a check of the box and, you know, just let it run. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty easy. But I, I, I would say if you were a millennial, like kind of like back to Lisa. Um, yeah. If she did not find a financial advisor that she liked, then I I wouldn't mind going with yeah, a better Yeah, I actually was going to recommend that. I was yeah. like, that seems like it might be a better way than finding someone. But, like, potentially. potentially. Yeah. But yeah. some people really do want that human inter- interaction, yeah, right? So if you were a person who needs somebody who kind of ca- to call you out, <laughs> because Betterment will never you know tell you that you're making a stupid decision. Uh, Whereas yeah. the financial advisor would go, mm, you may not want to do that, <laughs> right? Because case in point, when when I had my financial advisor uh, years ago, um, when things looked rough, you know, I didn't know much. Of, yeah, that's a new today. Um, I actually wanted to pull out money because I was getting scared. But yeah. she actually said, you know what? Like you're still young. And like she asked me, you know, when when do I plan on using it and all that? And I told her, oh, I don't plan to use it any anytime soon. So she's like, yeah, just just leave it in there because this is the time where you want to start buying. You, just, you don't want to really sell um, at the low and all that. So. Um, that's I would say that's one of the benefits of having financial advisors is really having that person at your corner to make sure you're not doing something stupid. But again, um, there are a lot of predatory practices out there as well where you know that you have to keep in mind as well that you know these robot advisors won't really get into that. But there's no coach in the yeah. in the center there. Now they do provi- they do offer um, like human advice. <laughs> I have to say for but a fee for a fee absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you know like it's. If it's kind of a kind of best of both worlds, right? You can have the robot doing your work and also somebody to kind of keep you in line. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool, Van. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of today's episode. Uh, we love questions. Right. So, folks, if you have more questions to come, please go ahead and send them our way. And we'll try to do another one of these in the next uh, few episodes. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Take care.